Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the How to Dominate Your Market with the Profit Finder. Uh, I'm Brian Comerty, the Profit Finder. And today, man, I got a really interesting uh, guest and, and topic, really. Uh, we're going to talk about an, an industry that you may not know is as big as it is in Worcester, Massachusetts. So without further ado, let me introduce John Keogh from Manage Media. And John, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. So, John, um, tell us a bit. Uh, well, let's before we talk about Manage Media, um, just uh, give me a little bit about what we should know about you. You've been in Worcester your whole life, or uh, grow up around town? I, I, I'm I'm all over the uh, the place in Massachusetts. I've lived in in so so many different places. I was born in Boston, yeah. and uh, I probably have lived in I don't know 35 or 40 of the towns and cities. Uh, that make up our Commonwealth. Uh, but uh, for the last um, six years, I've been in Worcester, and then I've been in Worcester before, on and off, um, over the past twenty-five years. Great. And now, so what are you, um, what are you doing at Manny J Media? What's your primary role? And then we'll talk about Manny J Media itself. All right. So uh, my role in Manny J Media is executive producer. Uh, so there, it's a three-person company with three principals: Manny J. Um, which is Manny Alvarado, myself, and then Leanne Sylvia, who handles like operations. And my job there is realistically uh, to drive uh, project creation and acquisition. So I, you know, am the uh, out there doing sales. Uh, I, you know, I generate sponsorships from different businesses. And I also um, sign and look for different intellectual properties that we can acquire or be involved with the production of, um, you know, it depends on the situation. Some things are like, we did a documentary at a poetry uh, group just recently. And also, you know, we're in the middle of an acquiring an intellectual property that goes to a specific movie. So it depends. My role changes day to day. Earlier today, I was working on one of our newer studios. So um, it really is just a, a kind of a catch-all job. Um, that involves, um, you know, building the foundation for a long, long-term uh, sustainable company. So I, and I found you through, um, you, even though you, you wear uh, several hats, the one I found you through was uh, your role at Manage A Media. And you explained to me um, that you guys wanted to create uh, like a community television system or media system where, neighborhoods could every different neighborhoods could kind of um make sure everybody knew about all the things going on in the neighborhoods because a lot of t we were talking about part you can live on one side of worcester and, and not know what's going on, on the other side of worcester the other side of town so um so talk to us about some of the things that that manage a media llc does and um you know and talk about like the whole business model too because i know there's some things you do for free for the community and then there's other paid services too so let, let's get a handle on that so yeah so manny um manny's been lifelong dream has been to uh kind of bring information to the communities that we grew up in so both of us grew up in very poor situations uh, i spent a, a big chunk of my childhood homeless and uh you know manny has been in and out of public housing for many many years and so what we found is often when we began to educate ourselves, uh, you know, outside of, the, I, guess, I guess, traditional schooling, you find that information that's presented on television or the radio is wildly disconnected from reality. Mm -hmm. And um, but yet 
officials, public officials and media people would often still present that information to people who are poor or from lower economic statuses as if it was true. And so we felt like that's not fair. And then often, uh, for example, I live on Irving Street in Worcester. I've lived there for five years. And in the five years that I've been there, not a single public official has ever knocked on that door. Not once. Have they ever walked down that street? Have they ever had a standout? Have they sent a mailer? I don't even get mailers for public officials, which means that there's a neighborhood in Worcester that no one cares about. Because if they cared about it, they would probably spend some time maybe potentially cultivating voters or or doing things. The only time there really seems any attention is when the police shows up, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we felt like there was this gap between what was presented as news and then valuable information. What's the valuable information? So there's three different kinds. One is general community stuff, right? Uh, one of the things you and I talked about um, early on was that there was a day in August on a Saturday where there was five distinct public events going on in Worcester in five different areas. All of them were disconnected. And yet the organizers for each of them all know each other. They're all, they've all known each other for years. And yet they had no idea to coordinate between the five events, there was something like 25,000 attendees. So if you know anything about events, you know that the higher number of attendees, the more likely it is that you could get infrastructure support. You could get businesses to sponsor. You get vendors to buy your tables and you can charge higher rates. So the economic uh, um, you know, viability of those events is often driven by small business to medium-sized businesses being vendors at those events and, and, and sponsoring them. If you combined the economic power of 25,000 potential attendees instead of five 5,000s, you're going to have a more successful event, and it's going to employ more people. It's going to create you know, more opportunities for those small businesses to network, and it's just going to drive uh, economic uh, goals here in Worcester. But for some reason, they're disconnected, and that's because the local media doesn't care enough to promote those things. So what we do is we go, we go to those events and we go live. You know, that's that's our that was our our starting model. And Manny is a a well known uh, public figure in Worcester, and he goes live and it's hey yo, it's Manny, it's your boy Manny, and he and he shows what he, what's going on. And often we have had people, you know, consistently that view our show that say, I didn't know this was happening today. And it, and they're like a block away. <laughs> so people will walk down and see us. You know, it's happened multiple times where people drive by, uh, they'll jump out, they'll come on the show, they'll get interviewed on the spot. And it's because they don't really know what's going on. There's no real concerted thing. So there's a, a media desert kind of there. And it's a it's really a market inefficiency. We can step into that gap and provide that service. And so then what it's created is kind of a dual economic model, right? The first part of the model is there's businesses who want access to our, our audience. They want to be able to present their products and their services directly to those people because our our meta, you know, our meta information center says that 90% of our viewers are actual Worcester residents, which is very, very high compared to other community media companies. Normally you'll get um, you know, a small group of locals, and then you kind of use the ad model to get people from outside of your area. We made a, a strategic decision to never buy an ad. So we've never bought an ad. It's all organic growth and it's hand to hand. So I have literally taken people's phones and had them follow Managing Media on Facebook. And then that person has become a customer for one of our businesses that support us. So that's one side. So we have sponsorships. We have five or six different companies that sponsor us right now. And there's 
three or four more that are in various stages of uh, being signed. And then on the other side, my background is in film. Manny's background is in radio. And then Leanne's background is in accounting. So we kind of combine those skills to be able to produce video and audio content for companies that maybe aren't able to rise to the level of a sponsorship, right? So maybe you don't have $10,000 that you can spend on a yearly sponsorship, but you might have 1500 bucks to create an in-house video or reel or something like that. So then we use that as a secondary model to supplement the sponsorships. Nice. Okay. So how did, you know, how did the, uh, what was, what came first? Was it the, the sponsorships came first? Okay. So realistically what happened was we were out doing this for free for a long time in different, yeah. in different capacities. Manny worked at unity radio. Um, and I was an independent, uh, investigative reporter. And then, um, Manny and I went to work together at a nonprofit called what's up Worcester. And in that four year period, we never were paid. Not once, not, not once. So then I uh, was writing articles for Pulse magazine and I uh, was getting paid 50 bucks an article. And I was like, this is not sustainable, right? It's just, you know, how many, you know, and it was once a month, you know, you're getting $50 once a month or every two weeks or something like that. And to break into the newspapers, they're not hiring new reporters, right? Or if they are hiring new reporters, they're hiring them at an hourly wage to pay them like 15, 16 bucks an hour. And so again, it's not a sustainable model if you if you happen to be someone that has anything that they own that they need to pay for. Right. So, um, you know, we were out doing several of these community events together, and a business owner approached us and said, "You know, who's sponsoring you?" That's really what happened. And Manny and I started to think about it, so we kind of sat down and and went after businesses that of people that were in our network right so our very first sponsor was Jeff Torres of the Torres group he's a real estate agent here in Worcester um more of like a full service so you know he's the guy who helps get you pre-approved he also shows the houses he also gets the closing costs so it's like an all in one um real estate company and so he was our first sponsor and i've known Jeff for many many years and so it really was just a friend who was investing in our business right mm -hmm. so then uh, from there, once we got the first sponsor, people started coming after us. And we were able to kind of pick and choose which businesses we really wanted to work with. And it really depended on 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 certain things, you know, like, for example, there's 35 cannabis companies in the city of Worcester, right? And all of them want to spend all their money because they're not allowed to legally advertise. You can't advertise direct sales um, and you can't advertise prices. So what they do is they do sponsorships of various things to get their names out there. But some of them just don't do the right thing. And so, um, you know, they're targeting kids or whatever. And so we we ended up with one company that doesn't do that, Cannabis of Worcester. And then there's a second company that we're working on uh, a project with. And then 3B Auto, which is on Canterbury Street here in Worcester. Um, it's owned by a guy named Vin Lee. Spectacular, um, you know, rags to riches, Worcester business story. Just a tremendous man, a tremendous family. And, you know, he invested, he, he invested us. He became our primary sponsor. And then um, recently we signed um, Speed World, which is a, a guy who trains um, uh, athletes for speed um, in Worcester. And then there's a bunch of other businesses that are, are going along. We're allowed to pick and choose kind of. We don't want to have like six mechanics, right? And we don't want to have nine real estate agents. It would be nice to get like an insurance broker and it would be nice to get maybe, you know, um, a car dealer. And like we try to like spot it because one of the things that you see that uh, bigger companies do, like the Red Sox, what do they do? They have the official 
car dealer of the Red Sox. They have the official airline of the Red Sox, but they don't have six airlines. They have one. And that one is paying a significant premium for access to the Red Sox customers. So we're trying to develop that, that higher end model, but with medium end customers, because no one is going after those customers. And, and those are the ones that are available to us. Incredible. So, um, well, great. Well, good luck with that. It sounds like it's going to, once you get a little bit momentum, it's, it just keeps rolling and you guys are, it sounds like you guys are seeing that. Yeah. I, I was working full time at the prop house here in Worcester until July. And I remember, uh, you know, what happened about two weeks before I, you know, I gave my two weeks notice. And the reason I did was because I had so much work coming up. I couldn't possibly sustain a full-time job. Yeah. And the work that we needed to do, you know, like, so we've made multiple movies in the past uh, four months. You know, we have a, a doc, we have several documentaries. I'm, you know, uh, potentially we're going to be producing this major movie. And the amount of work that you have to do is just mind boggling. So you need to to go kind of where the money is. And the money is good. It's it is. It, there's nothing to complain about. It's exciting to be able to, like, afford things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's always nice and exciting. Yeah. You go from like, you know, I, I, at the prop house they paid, but they paid based on you know uh, what 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 how that's valued. You know, um, as w- when you're an executive producer, it's valued more. And so what you end up doing is stepping into a world that's valued at a higher level, and and it it's amazing the, uh, the what happens income potential wise, but also job creation wise. All of a sudden now we went from being people who worked full time jobs to being people who create full-time jobs. And that's a that's a crazy transition in only about nine months. That's incredible. That's, it is. And that, I think that's one of the best things about small businesses anyway, is the, the job creation. I mean, it, we always hear about the huge uh, companies, but there's very few of them compared to, you know, smaller businesses. And and that that's where the job creation really is. So it's incredible. So, talk about the um, the mo- the movie industry in Worcester. I mean, that's the other thing you're doing too, or one of the other things you're doing is, you know, a executive producer of different movies. And there, some of them are uh, features, and some are documentaries, right? Yeah. Yep. So, you know, um, what uh, what people might not know is is that in the past um, five years, in New England, there's been almost 500 films made. Did you know that? Whoa, no, I didn't. No. Why Why don't you know that? It's because it's not really something that's advertised because New England isn't really seen as a film-centric industry place, right? Whereas when you think about California or Vancouver up in Canada, even Atlanta down there because of The Walking Dead and what ended up happening with the Marvel movies, and then New York City, they're like traditional entertainment, fashion, uh, music you know, they're like, they're associated with that. And New England never really has had that except for like spot things. So like most people remember the perfect storm or they remember Goodwill hunting as Boston movies, but yeah. they don't necessarily know how those movies got made. Right? right. And, and then what, what allows a film to get made? So, I mean, the number one thing is crew, right? You need, you need people that are available. And in this area, there's a huge amount of talent, but it's hyper concentrated in certain areas and it's really not well organized. And I don't want to say that the union itself isn't a good organization. But what I mean is that sometimes there'll be five movies that want to get made at the same time. But you only have enough to crew up for four. And so why is that? Because, well, the fifth guy is on a movie in New Mexico because he left to go make the money in New Mexico. 
and or he's in a movie in California or in LA. And then so then you have to bring in people from out, outside of uh, of New England. So what um what ended up happening for me is I worked in props. Uh here in Worcester is the largest prop house in New England. It's called Westerman Prop House or W Props, and uh, which has been in existence for almost 20 years. Started by Dan Diaz, who's an amazing dude who uh created this just menagerie of stuff there, right? All the stuff that you would need to film a movie. Um, the the stuff that's in the background is called set dressing, and the stuff that is handled by actors, that's called props, right? But generally speaking, it's referred to as props. And so I worked there, and my job realistically at the very beginning was to organize this stuff. So, you know, if there was an area with couches, I had to put couches together. If there was areas with old fridges from 1950, I had to put the fridges in a row. And then uh, eventually my job became a little bit more involved where I was bringing stuff to set or I was helping to load the trucks. Sometimes it was my job to make sure that, you know, a certain order was placed for a specific set. Sometimes I got to go on set and it was amazing, you know, all the opportunities that ended up coming from that. And so, you know, as I got more and more involved, I saw that, in my opinion, that there were several inefficiencies in how films were being produced. And that was because there was like a lack of cohesive organization, except for certain people. So you, and you could see those people, they would like stand out, you know, and you would you'd be like, wow, this person really has it. And they're just like, bang, bang, bang. But then there would be other people where the truck would show up at the last second on the last day and not know what they were getting. So there was those two kind of um, diametrically opposed things happening in the industry. And I thought, well, I'm good at organizing. Why can't I, you know, find a way to organize that so it's a little bit easier? Mm -hmm. Because realistically, what ha has to happen is the stuff has to get from the prop house to the warehouse, a, a warehouse where they organize it, from that warehouse to a location, whether it's a studio or actual on location, mm -hmm. set up by the on-set dressers, right? And then they bring in the film crew and they start doing different things. And so this is a multi-stage process that leads to a single shot, right? So you watch a scene in a film and you say, wow, how did they get that cool shot in the kitchen? Well, it turns out that that's like a 25-day process to get that one shot, right? And there's a lot of elements that you don't even think about. And so I I really like that. I'm, I'm kind of OCD and I like the idea of how do I how do I make this happen, this, this end product? and do it in a way that makes all those people feel like they're contributing to that in a more efficient and, and kind of more holistic way, right? Because I saw a lot of times that people were getting burnt out. And that's because there's really no organized training. There's no organized setup. And, um, you know, again, it's a union kind of based system. So you know what happens sometimes in unions, the guy who's been in the union for 17 years, he gets the job, but maybe he's not the best for the job, right? So what do you need to do in that situation? You kind of need a leader who says, all right, I want, I want Billy, but I don't want, I don't want Joe or I want Janice and, uh, uh, but I don't want Mark, you know, and you have to figure out who is the right person that works for that film because every story is different. It, it's one thing to make a horror movie, right? And it's a completely another, another thing to make a 1920s gangster movie, which by the way, there's one being filmed in New York in December. And, you know, how do you get that film done? I don't, it, there's so many different elements. And there's so many things that you never imagined were important that are in, uh, important in movies, like makeup, lighting. Like right now, I'm in this booth, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the light from the computer screen is kind of making me look a little orange, right? 
But if you just if you just change it a little bit, right? And of course, people who are listening aren't going to see this. You can change the angles. Yeah. And you're going to see that it changes the way my face looks. There's a person who who went to school for that that does that all the time, right? Yeah. Um, my my background and Manny's background is really in sound too, right? So I do sound for my church. Now I've been around music for 35 years. Manny uh, worked in the radio as a producer for many, many, many years, and so. There's people whose job is just to do sound. Um, and it's just amazing how like uh, convoluted and how how many different elements there are. And so to me, it's a job I've never even imagined myself being in, but it excites me, as you can hear in his voice. Uh, it excites me because there's so many moving parts, and I really like to do a lot of different things, and that gets me going. And so then seeing what happens at the end, right? The editing and the delivery of the film and the story being told, man, it's so satisfying to get to the end of that run. Um, so, you know, we decided that it would be good for us to supplement the community media part with maybe some film creation. And so that's really kind of changed the way people perceive us, right? So, you know, when I send an email now and it says executive producer and they click on our website and then they go to like some link on our YouTube or they click through, they're like, wow, they're not just doing interviews of politicians. They're doing this and this and this and that and this and that. And it's really starting to get people to think of us in a different way. So now, you know, I, I had a phone call with the with the vice president at a bank the other day, and um, they called me, and it's, it's just completely different <laughs> from being in the in you know uh, at one of the uh, one of the parks, you know, and uh, and Manny's you know interviewing someone who just walked up to him. You know what I mean? It just changed the entire perception just by getting a little bit involved in the industry. And by the way. We are such a small footprint. Like I said, 500 plus films in the last five years have been made in New England. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's hundreds of them that you'll never know about because they might not even make it to, you know, to a streamer someday. They may never get finished. We're talking about creative upon creative upon creative who's making stuff. And, uh, you know, there's got to be somebody who steps in and organizes that process. Mm -hmm. why, why not me? <laughs> right. Yeah, I think you have the guy. You're the guy for it. The um, uh, talk a little bit about the how many jobs are kind of created on per project or whatever. If you know, it, you described what it's all like, right? But like, let's drill down. What's let's give us a sample of you know. Hey, we're working on a movie. You may be working on a movie next year. You said, yep. um, you know, give us a paint a picture for how many people in in our in Worcester County, for example, are going to be you know, employed because of that. Okay. So that, that particular project, that movie has a $2 million budget, right? Yep. And when you say $2 million, like people go, wow, $2 million. But let me explain it to you. There's, there's a process to that money. So generally speaking, if someone is selected as the executive producer, which has happened with me, there's a group of investors who have said, okay, I'm going to give you X and your job is to deliver these certain deliverables. In this particular case, my deliverable is a locations agreement, right, with a specific town in Worcester County that allows me to operate locations in that town. So I'm pretty close to signing that locations agreement. That So that's step one. Once that is completed, then it allows me to, into the next part of what's called pre-production. In pre-production, I have to start hiring people. So just in the pre-production zone, right, there's a little bit between 15 and 20 hires that are going to take place. Okay, so those are like major, major uh, roles that you've probably heard of before. Director, writer, cinematographer, right? Those ones. So you need to get that team in place. Um, there's, a, there's another role called a production designer. 
That's the person who kind of designs the overall look of a film, the coloring, that kind of thing. Um, I'll probably need to bring in a casting director. That's a that's the person that's going to help me figure out which actors are going to go in there. And that's all before you ever get to hiring an actor, right? The, um, Leanne, who's part of our company, she's going to probably be the operations manager. So then she's got to hire an accountant and she's got to hire clerks. And there's all these different things that have to happen before the film even starts, okay? So when the film actually starts, right now we're looking at a 13-week production run. What does that mean? There's going to be a week of what's called pre-production. That pre-production week is really getting all the employees in, right? Making sure they have their contracts, their rates are set, that the unions are happy. If there's union personnel, if there's non-union personnel, that their rates kind of match the different people. Make sure that everybody's paperwork is filled out, their W-9s and where we're going to uh, file taxes and the different things. Because not everybody works as a W-2 employee in this industry. Sometimes you have people who are direct contractors. They have their own companies. And so they're billing a fee. So you have to deal with all that, right? That's just in the week before we start actual you know, production. Then in the, then there's a 10-week run of actual production. And that's like the, the, the nuts and bolts of filmmaking. So lighting, set design, um, actual film work, extras, actors, makeup, wardrobe, blah, 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 blah. That's going to jump that number from 15, probably close to 100 different people that are going to be paid in different capacities on the course of this film. And then there's the last two weeks, which is called wrap, right? That's wrap, wrapping the, the picture. And that involves a separate crew who's hired just to break down the things that the other crew built. Why do they do that? Because at the end of a film run, there's a significant amount of burnout because people have invested so much of their their spirit really into the creation of the film that they need they need to be let go and like they need to go home and relax. And so you bring in another crew and their their job is to break down the sets, to to box the equipment, all that stuff. And that's another group that's about 15 to 20 people. So all told, you're looking at about 150 paid roles over the course of about six months. And that's just one movie, right? And it's a small movie. $2 million sounds like a lot of money, but it's actually a, a low, a lower end uh, budget run. You know, um, when, when we get into higher budgets, I'll give you an example real quick. The Directors Guild of America, they have they have two, two, two basic tiers, low budget and high budget. Low budget is $10 million, $999,999 and down. That's considered low budget. And then high budget is $11 million and it goes up to $249,9999. And then $250 million above is called ultra high budget. And that's for like the big Marvel movies and those, those things. They're handled in a different class. So we're in what's called a low budget and we're going to spend $2 million. And by the way, it's really easy to spend $2 million. You'd be shocked and amazed when you have to hire 150 people for various roles, how quick that money goes. Um, and I would say the vast majority of that $2 million is on people, not on stuff, right? Because most of the stuff we already have, we yep. have cameras, we have lighting, we have crew, we, you know, we have, uh, um, you know, we have the location very close to being secured. And so uh, the major like non-personnel costs are already kind of accounted for. And now we're going to start spending money on people. And of course, when those people work in Worcester County, where do they spend their money? Right there. That's where they're buying their right. lunch when they can, you know, they're buying their lunch when they can, getting gas at the gas stations there and coffee, you know, refills, everything else. It's all, yeah. So, so then it just drives. And then it, the other thing is that these 
films are so intense, right? Yeah. That realistic, you have to have the crew kind of close together. So one of the things my job as the executive producer is, is to find, um, you know, lodging for all these folks, right? So I got to find a place for them to stay. The goal with this particular film is that we're going to build the lodging in the location. So they're going to live together in in Worcester for about, thir- well, them about 11 weeks, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the cool component about that is that they then have relationships that they get from being in the towns and the cities around them because they need to, they got to go out and, you know, you, you, you need a normal break. You can't just be in film land all day long. Everybody, we all know we need time off. Right. Yeah. So they got to go out and they're going to go visit the museum and they're going to go out and they're going to visit the local park and they're going to meet this person and that person. Maybe they'll interact with the police and the fire department and the clerks and the secretaries and the lawyers and the doctors and everybody around because you don't stop living life just because you're you're making a movie. People are going to get, uh, you know, hopefully there's no injuries, but it does happen that you get cuts and bruises and scrapes. So there's going to be trips to the hospital and there's going to be all these kind of things that are going to go on. I'm going to have to deal with the insurance agent all the time, man. You got to deal with insurance, right? Because these are all elements in film production that people don't even ever think about, but they lead to the potential return, which is, astronomical in relation to other uh, industries, right? So that $2 million, if we do it right, has the potential to return significant revenue over the initial investment. And that's realistically why you can pull together 150 people for a 13-week run like that, right? Because they recognize that they're going to have a chance to get a huge amount on the back end if it's successful. So, you know, what do you think about when you think about movies, you think about the ones that succeeded, right? The ones that won the Oscars, the ones that the, the big blockbusters, you know, the Marvel movies, Chris Evans, Captain America, he can basically do whatever he wants. He can, he can just go around and he can pick and choose what he wants and, and he can just do any film or any creative project. And why, why is that? Cause universally the dude is beloved, right? Right. At this point in his life, So he can go play a bad guy. And as long as he doesn't say anything ridiculously crazy on TV, he's pretty much going to get away with it for the rest of his life, right? right? And so people look at that as an end result in film. They think, wow, what if I do that? You know, and so now that's the home run hit, right? That's not the the, the typical uh, result, but the chance at that is what drives people to really truly invest their time in a way that is probably abnormal in maybe, I don't know, the construction field, right? Because, you know, in the end, how many nails can you hammer? How many blocks of wood can you, can you cut? But on this end, if you have this opportunity at something that's stratospheric, yeah, you, you know, you invest this kind of time. So uh, it, it it's amazing. But yeah, I would say uh, 150 plus people, plus all the people I'm going to employ indirectly because of the money that those people are spending. Yeah. And it's just, that's just one movie. And there could be, there, there could, not only could there, there, there are, we know, you know, 500 movies in four years. We know that there's multiple movies going on at the same time. It's amazing. Yeah. So this year upcoming when, so with the, because of the work actions with the WGA and SAG, I'm going to tell you what's happened because we were, um, I was involved when the uh, Yahtzee, which uh, Yahtzee is the like um, set dressers, set designers, crafty editors, camera people. That's, that's a, that's the union of, that's like the crew union, um, the general umbrella. There's some other uh, unions involved there as well, but we'll just use Yahtzee. That's I-A-T-S-E. Right. But anyways, 
that uh, when they had their almost strike last year, all production stopped and shut down. And right now we have almost all production stopped except for some independent films and then companies like Manny J Media that is that is working directly with the unions and not through the collective bargaining process of AMP. That's the American Motion uh, Pictures you know, uh, production group, AMPTP, -A 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 right? That's the one that you're hearing on the news all the time. Our company is not a part of that group. So that's like Disney, NBC, Paramount, all these huge, huge companies. Yeah. We're trying to work individually with the union. So we're really the only companies that can get films made right now. But when the the union the strike ends and it will end, there's there's going to be at some point uh, an agreement in place. Mm -hmm. There are a bunch of films that were in pre-production that had that got put on pause, and then all of those studios need content. So there's going to be a bunch of films green lit that might not normally get green lit, right? So they're going to get budgets thrown at them because they want to get them made and on TV as soon as possible or on streamers or into the theaters. And so next year, there's probably going to be anywhere between five and 20 major productions being made in New England because in California, there's going to be 50, but maybe there's only room for 45. So where does the extra five go? Right. They probably shift here or New Mexico or or Atlanta or Vancouver. So we're going to get overflow because people need to get movies made. And yep. so the summertime is a great opportunity up here in New England to get things made. Our our area has has seasons, so it kind of lends itself to film creation more than studio-based uh, creation. So those outside locations. And then, of course, our state, Massachusetts, is super film-friendly because of the tax incentive. So that's going to help drive a, a huge amount of production. So I expect next summer to be very, very busy with film creation here in New England. And is that um, can those department those um, production companies that get overwhelmed by the tsunami of 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 movies that they're going to have to make next year, can they subcontract work out to you guys out to manage? Oh yeah, absolutely. So that's something that is. So there's actually it's funny because, you know, I, I almost have like too many opportunities and I gotta I gotta make sure I pick the right one. But there's a film in LA that actually is I'm I'm in the running to be the EP there. It's like a 15 million dollar budget movie. And that particular film, they want me to find crew from New England to bring them out to LA because they're running out of people in LA because of the timing. So then they're like, well John, you can probably pick off a bunch of indies from New England and bring them out here. And of course because it's a bigger movie, those indies are going to get paid more than they've ever been paid in their lives because they're going to get paid differentials. They're going to get paid for travel. They're going to get paid for what's called idle days. So because when you when you leave your state, you have to be paid a rate for your days that you're idle in the other state. That's that's the union rules. So on your Saturday and Sunday, you get paid, which right. is insane. Right. So, you know, you're talking about that makes sense. Uh, people who might might have made a thousand dollars a week making ten thousand dollars a week because of the the way that that goes and of course i'm gonna because i'd be in charge of that budget i get to pick and choose who i want and then i can offer the rates that i want to offer which allows me to get leverage to get the best talent so i can pull some talent from new england which of course is gonna then create pressure here right so there's that there's like that going back and forth do you want to do that do you want to do this it's a really cool opportunity with a big a big budget, which would give me more income to come back and make more films here, maybe. Uh, so there's kind of a push and pull when you get into this role about what's the right thing to do. 
Um, and yeah, there's there's gonna be subcontracted work. Not only that, there's like this is just film. We haven't even broached the subject of commercials, right? Right. So the commercial film industry is a separate entity that also has thousands of productions that are running and they're running right now because they're under a different contract. Right here. Right. So they're Oh yeah, absolutely. The actors are being are being in yeah, they're in there right now because they're they're it's a completely separate uh, yep. bargaining uh, agreement with with the commercial film companies. Yep. There's a big company in Connecticut called Element Element Film. You can look them up. They have huge contracts like Nike and Coca Cola and Walmart, and they just do these big huge productions. And we're talking for for like a thirty second commercial, two and three and four and five million dollar budgets. It's insane. And those productions are compressed, right? Because they're shorter. So they 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 bring in these huge crews to do things in like four or five days. And of course, you make a rate that is that is well beyond the normal film rate. So those productions are still going and they're competing now with the films that need to be done. So now you have these push and pulls of two almost separate but similar industries pulling on the same talent. Yep. So what we need is more talent. We need more trained uh, people in the industry in this area because otherwise it won't be sustainable. The the the, the jobs will just leave. Right. Yeah, you know, and it makes sense. So to that point, then, if somebody's listening to this episode and and they're interested in wanting to get into this industry into this work, you know, maybe they just didn't realize that the movie industry in in Central Mass in Worcester is that big. How oh, it's they- huge. Where, so where to where to go to break in? Like who again? There's probably no central location, right? To say, hey, I want to, I want to be in the industry. But let's say they, I mean, would you be a good contact? Oh yeah. So I mean, so I can, I can. They, they're more than welcome. They can reach out to me. You know, my, um, they can reach out, out out to us at our website, which is communitydelivered.net. They can go on the Facebook page, which is Manny J Media LLC on Facebook, Manny J Media on um, Instagram, Manny J Media on uh, LinkedIn. They can just reach out to me. I'm John Edward Keo on all the platforms. They can uh, they can text me, email me, call me. You can find my phone number in about 15 seconds. Um, I I try to be open to all opportunities with new people with scripts. I read scripts constantly because you just got to be open. I know there's some people that kind of close those doors, and then there's a bunch of union people here in the area, and there's also independent filmmakers in the area, and I'm I'm ha- more than happy to connect them. Um, we also own uh, a film group called Hollywood Film Group, which is based here in, uh, that's Hollywood as in Worcester, woo. And then, you know, that's just me being silly. Uh, but, but the idea is that we want that, we want Worcester to be uh, looked at that way. Um, the city of Worcester, the administration is super film friendly. There's a guy, his name is Edgar Luna, um, who works for the uh, city manager, who helps facilitate a lot of films that are made here not just in Worcester, but in Worcester County. Um, and he's really easy to work with. The film that the film tax uh, incentive is actually the best one in the country. Well, Massachusetts, it's dollar for dollar, which means that literally if you get $100 in taxes in whatever you're, you're doing, you can have it completely reimbursed by the state dollar for dollar as long as you document it correctly, right? So you gotta you have to make sure you keep track of it but that's a huge incentive for film companies to come here. Um, there's multiple unions. I said Yahtzee, that's I-A-T-S-E. And uh, the the number of the, of the local here in New England is 481. Um, and so they're always looking for people to get involved. 
There is multiple ways to get into the union. You do need a sponsor uh, that's usually union-based, and you need to get 30 days um, in relation to your specific craft. Now, what does that mean? Some people are set dressers. The set dressers are the people who just, you know, um, get the stuff to the set. There's another person who's called an on-set dresser. That's the person who puts the stuff and arranges it on set. Um, there's camera people. There's grips. There's gaffers. There's a there's a huge amount of opportunity, and they need more people because they they do. So there's different training opportunities. And if you reach out to me, I'd be more than happy to help you. I believe in collaboration, not competition. So if I can connect you to somebody, I will. Um, and there's and it's not difficult to find them. They have websites um, that are easy to access. Uh, and then you can go to the Massachusetts Film website, which if you go to uh, mass.gov, just type in film in the search bar. It brings you to a separate website that lists all these resources for anybody. Um, the WGA, the Writers Guild, uh, their website, WGA East, because we're on the East Coast. Uh, if you want to get involved with writing and registering your scripts, you can do that. The Directors Guild of America, that's DGA. Uh, you can look them up as well. And there's so many other opportunities. By the way, we haven't even talked about television. To come, uh, yeah, it's yet another area. It's a completely separate thing because television has changed, right? You still have broadcast, traditional broadcast televisions like NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox. And then you have streaming television which is a little bit different, but episodic uh, television formats. Now you're talking about long-term contracts and you're talking about, you know, your, your, your days are different. You might have to move to a different place to live there. There's a bunch of opportunities there. That doesn't include the news industry, set deck, design, sound, camera. There's so many opportunities in the, in the film industry world that are different and unique. So if you're interested in any of these things, there's an opportunity for you. I can tell you this right now, Channel 7, WHDH um, in Boston, they've had a huge exodus of talent because a lot of their um, reporters have become kind of nationally known. Like a, They're like a feeder uh, channel um, for uh, like NBC Universal, right? So they often will have a guy or a girl or a they who ends up getting taken from that station and going up to the big leagues all the time, right? So they look at look at the the local television station as like a minor league system to the national um, you know programs, right? So they always need new people. You want to go on the you want to be a weathercaster? There's opportunities. There's actually a free scholarship meteorolog meteor logical school well i didn't say that right how are you doing that so you want to you want to go become a weather person they have a plan for that so there's so many opportunities and i could go on and on and on i bore your your people with the amount of different categories that are available but i am connected to almost all those groups and i'm more than welcome to uh hook anybody up so if anybody wants to reach out text call email facebook me skype whatever i'm available john john so so generous i you know i had no idea that this was going to turn into, I knew we were going to enlighten everybody with how big the media industry is. Let's call it that, you know, commercials, TV, film. I still am floored by, by it. And to hear you go on like that and, and talk about all the different segments of it and in the, in the demand and the pent up demand that we're looking at for 2024. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I had no idea that this episode was going to actually turn into a a, a movie job posting board. I mean, because I think that's what we just did. We just let a lot of people know that if they want to get into this industry, there's there's work for them. And listen, you, your your show is an example of this industry exploding. Podcasts 
are literally one of the number one revenue drivers in the world, not just in the country or in this area, but in the world. Podcasts are everywhere. We're not, you can do audio podcasts and you can do video podcasts. And, you know, what Manny and I started out doing, um, you know, in, very, in many ways was a video podcast. And now he does that with um, the different um, politicians, local politicians here, and then entertainers and, and you know, people of note and renown. Um, we do different versions of that. We even produce podcasts for other companies, right? It's one of those things. And that doesn't include the radio. Mm. By the way, the radio is still a huge booming industry. More, It's shifted more to talk radio. You know where the number one talk radio station in the world is? Is it Boston? It's in Boston. Sports uh, 98.5. Um, the the sports hub is the number one radio station in the world. It's the highest rated station in the world. And not only that, there there are four flagship shows. You know, Toucher and Rich, um, uh, uh, Zoe and the Beetle, um, and then Felgren Mass. Those three, those three, like you know, drive time kind of shows. Those yeah. are the number one, two, and three highest rated shows in the world. And so, and I mean, I'm not just talking about for like people listening, active involvement with those shows, they sell more ads than maybe anybody you can imagine. So then think about it. What kind of ads are those? Radio ads. Mm -hmm. So there's people, voiceover actors and voiceover directors and behind the scenes, there's so much stuff going on. Um, there's opportunities left and right. And you can step into that world and there is a demand, a high, high demand. There's a school in Connecticut called the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. They cannot keep teachers in place. They can't. They, they just can't. They get recruited. So you want to you want to you want to teach? Oh, did I did I drop out? I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say they can't keep the teachers in place because they're probably getting recruited out for work. Absolutely, because if you have skill in broadcasting, you are in high demand, and so they they they'll take you out, and they need to hire teachers all the time. And they're a great great school, Connecticut School of Broadcasting. You should tag them in the comments, and they should send us a check because they're a good uh, school. But they do they deliver producers, audio engineers um, to almost all the radio stations here in New England and around the country. And they should uh, people should be looking into them. I bet most people that are hearing this right now, like they have a school for radio engineering. Yes. Yes, they do. It's called the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. You can learn all kinds of stuff down there. And generally speaking, those are trained to job schools. So what happens is you go to that school, you get trained, you get placed. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. You are in demand. So they yeah. will get you out. So you're not going to get out of that school with the debt that you have from maybe a, a liberal arts school. You're going to end up in a job working immediately. Now, it's not the it's not you're not making the million dollars that we're talking about at the beginning of that, right? You're gonna have to do the behind the scenes work, but it's an opportunity just like that. That's incredible. John, yeah, what a cool, cool conversation. I mean, I think this is this is so good, uh, all the things that we've learned and the different uh, opportunities just this conversation's opened up that that you've told us about. I mean, wow, and like, you've only talked to me. You, you haven't even talked to Manny yet. Wait till you talk to Manny. Yeah. So in, in that comes from the, he comes from that community aspect, right? Yep. In the community world, there's a bunch of smaller opportunities that are like step stones in. And literally, uh, uh, there's a reason why we're partners. This guy literally knows everybody. So like, if you wanted an opportunity to maybe, maybe just wanted to put your foot in the door, right? 
my business partner, Manny Alvarado, he's the guy to go to. And so he has, a, and he comes from another perspective too, and watches the door. He, you know, he saw a lot of things behind the scenes that helped open up these opportunities between him and I. Mm, incredible. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll definitely have Manny on too. Uh, I'll probably have you back as well, if you're willing. Um, Cause oh, that's great, yeah. I think we just scratched the surface today. <laughs> that's <laughs> Oh my gosh, John, so, so good to have you here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was John Keough from Manny J Media LLC and really many other things that we talked about. What a good episode. Um, I will see you next time, everyone. And um, thanks for listening to How to Dominate Your Market with the Profit Finder. <laughs>